Hello there, welcome. This is a special edition of To a Certain Degree called Odd Numbers. Every so often, I have a guest come back on the show, we choose a theme, we play some music, and we chat. Do we always stay on topic? Not quite, but it's always a fun talk and I think you'll like it. The topic for this episode is world building with a healthy dose of Scrooge. And my guest is Jeremy Sagers. Jeremy is a local theater professional, and he's most recently directed A Christmas Carol, A Ghost Story of Christmas. It's playing at the Garden Theater in Winter Garden right now. And of course, Jeremy's a three-time returning guest because he always comes back on Cyber Monday, the ghost of Cyber Monday. For more on this episode, please visit toacertaindegree.com. And now, on with the show. Queen on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida, from their self-titled album, That Was Doing All Right. One of their very, very earliest, early works. Such a good song. And one I wanted to play because my special guest today, Jeremy Sagers, comes on every Cyber Monday, and we play some holiday tunes. And I wanted to introduce maybe some different songs for the holidays. Sure. And that's one of them. Good morning, Jeremy. Good morning. Thank you so I much like for being one. here. Thank you. No, I, I, and I, uh, I like that song a lot. You can tell that um, you can see their earlier influences in that song. For sure. Um, and it, it, does, it does have a, uh, a more 70s, early 70s vibe to it. Oh, much more. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, they go way back into yeah. the 70s sound. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Freddie Mercury hasn't quite discovered his uh, his whale yet. Right. Uh, Brian May's <laughs> guitar is very raw yeah, in that. So yeah. he hasn't really gotten to the virtuoso level. Or he may have been, but he's not quite hitting it there in that song. Yeah. 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 It's cool. It's cool. Um, when then the message yeah. from a holiday perspective, yes. we're all doing all right. Yeah, I hope so. Yesterday, my life was in ruins. <laughs> Now today, today yeah. I know what I'm doing. It's a new day. Yeah. It's a new, yeah. So I like that for maybe the end of the year sort of message. Yeah, yeah. I like it. So um, this will be alternative holiday. We'll play some regular holiday songs too, of course. Well, sure. But I wanted to start there mm-hmm. and talk about a holiday inspired show that you're doing right now. Oh, yes. I, I mean, this is, you're, you're on every Cyber Monday. Yes. This is our favorite holiday, yours and mine. Cyber Monday absolutely is my favorite holiday ever. (laughs) Mainly because I get to talk to you, but also because I'm just going to spend the day shopping. Right, online. Online. Not not seeing people at all. No, 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 no. No no, human contact. No. And we're dressed for it. Uh, You've got your Christmas shirt on. I am wearing uh, what? Just the the onesie. Right. Uh, What do they call that for the guys? A onesie. A onesie. Perfect. Right. That's, I thought there was another name for it, but two, two, obviously not. Maybe it, well, in my case, <laughs> it's almost a twosie. Uh, so, but you have a Christmas Carol, a ghost yeah. story of Christmas that's playing at the Garden Theater. Uh, if you've never been, it's a wonderful venue. In I have Garden. been. I've been. I was talking to the people. Oh, the people that are listening, right? It's not yes, just a conversation. Yes. Well, okay. I guess it is. Uh, <laughs> but that's going on through December 22nd. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, at Winter Garden, um, beautiful, old, um, what used to be the former movie theater out there at the garden. And um, it's been refurbished, remodeled, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and now they have a whole season of, of uh, 
live theater and concerts and special events. And then they also show movies like once a month um, out there. But every Christmas they do a holiday themed show. Mm-hmm. And this year it's a Christmas carol. And it's a very specific, a unique version of a Christmas carol. Um, because it focuses, it's, it, it takes Charles Dickens, when he wrote the novel, he had a sort of subtitle um, called A Ghost Story of Christmas. Um, and they, the the playwright, uh, Michael Wilson, of this version, um, reinstated that subtitle for this version. So it's called A, a Christmas Carol, A Ghost Story of Christmas. Um, and it focuses on the ghosts and introduces, introduces some new ghosts. Um, so, um, yeah, kind of more from the book or were they taking a little bit, the playwright was taking a little bit of creative license, a little bit of creative license. Um, I think I know where he was inspired to put them in, Mm -hmm. um, or or why, um, there is a scene that's often left out of, um, most adaptations, but there's a scene from the book where after Scrooge has been visited by Marley's ghost, um, he looks out his window into the street and he sees all of these um, ghostly apparitions and phantoms kind of floating everywhere. And I think what Michael Wilson did was um, decide to amp those up a little bit and bring them sure. into the story. Um, and they're really more there for atmosphere. Um, I've I've done some of my own kind of tweaking to make them help tell a story a little bit more um the the story but um so i don't think that they take away necessarily from um the story that everyone knows Mm -hmm. you know he's scrooge is still a miser and he's still a horrible person um and he is still visited by marley's ghost and he's still visited by the three spirits that everyone knows of past present and future but um there are these other visitors ghosts that torment him and 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 haunt him and um, kind of shake his uh, nerves and, and rattle his brain, <laughs> for lack of a better description. They really, they keep him in a state of kind of um, <clears throat> disorientation and 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 terror. Is one of them Jerry Lee Lewis? Is that why you said that? Well, Did you just drop a so, clue as to who the ghosts are? I mean, one of them could be Jerry Lee Lewis. One of them could be Elvis Presley. Um, Wonderful. One of them could be Johnny Cash. I'm awesome. just saying that's fantastic. <laughs> that would be really neat is a, a country uh, rockabilly Christmas carol. Yeah. Yeah. It's next. That's yeah. next year. You've given me an idea. It's, it's, um, what is it? It's, it's, uh, open. What do you call it? When there's no, um, when there's no rights for anything, it's free, uh, it's free and clear. It's free. Yeah, now can, that you've yeah. asked me that, I can't think of you the can, word You know what I'm either. talking about. Yeah. Public domain. Public domain. Yes. Christmas Carol. So you can do whatever you want with it, I think. Well, and it's it's a story that has been told a million times. I just yes. saw that the BBC is doing a new interpretation of it right. for this Christmas. With explosions. Yes. A and lot profanity. of explosions. I know. What in the world? Yeah, absolutely. You should have <laughs> profanity in it. By, by the people who brought you Peaky Blinders. Mm-hmm. So it's like. You know, it, and Tom it's Hardy, gonna, yeah, Tom Hardy, yeah, he's going to be in he's, it. He's and he, well, it's his, it's his production company. Um, I, you know, I'm going to see it. It's why not? You know, 
Well, it first it first came to mind to me of all the different interpretations when I heard about uh, Patrick Stewart mm-hmm. doing his one man version of it. Like it didn't occur to me how good of an actor he was until probably the last few seasons of Star Trek: The Next Generation, and then seeing him do movies and other things. But the idea of you know you can have this cast of thousands, you can interpret it in any number of ways because it is public domain. Or you could just have one person do it. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those stories that, you know, is interpreted time and time again. So coming at it, and I'm, I'm going somewhere with this to our, our theme today, which is mm-hmm. world building. Mm-hmm. How did you decide that this was the right interpretation? So, you know, this uh, version was going to be the right one for you to do mm-hmm. uh, because you were the most interested in it. And we've talked about sort of how you approach theater and how you mm-hmm. want to do something a little bit different mm-hmm. I, I think and, and make people uncomfortable in some cases <laughs> uh how did you approach it and how did you get to this one well i was actually uh, this was selected by the theater this version was selected mm. by the theater and i was asked um by their former artistic director um rob anderson to uh to direct this version and now this version had been done um almost 10 years ago um, uh, at, at the, the same theater okay. um, in a very, very true to style way, which, which I, what I mean is, is that in, in the play um, it is heavily inspired by the steampunk genre, mm-hmm. the steampunk look aesthetic. Um, and which when the play was written, this version of it um, was in the, early mid nineties. So that was still kind of a popular thing. It was still kind of, you know, a new trend. Sure. Um, but nowadays I don't feel like it is so much anymore. Um, so I, I wanted to get away from that aesthetic and do something that was much more, um, textured and, and real, um, keeping obviously the fantastical, you know, nature of it. Um, but so, so when Rob asked me to do it, um, I started thinking about ways to kind of um, reimagine the aesthetic and the look so that it wasn't um, dated and it didn't seem hokey. Um, you know, it's, it's weird to think that something in the early 90s could be a period piece or that could seem dated. Right, absolutely. <laughs> but it, it can. Um, so there's also this, this element to this version. I call it the Wizard of Oz version that, is um it's a challenge with the script because it's not in any other version so we have the three ghosts the three spirits that we know past present future mm-hmm. and in this version um they show up earlier as um debtors um people who owe scrooge money and um they're in the form of a doll seller who sells antique dolls from the past um a uh fruit and cider vendor who's very much about life and living in the moment and the present. And then there is a, a watch works uh, vendor who is obsessed with time and, and the future. And um, that's kind of where the, the, um, the theme, the steampunk theme yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. With the time all and the clocks, clocks and all that. Yeah. So I wanted to, to tone that down a little bit um, because it, to me, it felt really heavy hand, heavy handed. Um, it felt really on the nose so um, I wanted to get more at the the humanity of having three more characters that are human, not just their connection to the ghosts, but okay, so who are these 
people who owe Scrooge money. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I when I started to consider doing this version, that was really more my interest, um, and 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 showing um, how Scrooge treated these members of society who <clears throat> were lower status, who were marginalized, who are um, who who owe this you know old rich white guy <laughs> money <clears throat> and um so that was that was the important uh exploration for for me um in with this particular version so um i i, I didn't i really wasn't interested in 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 emphasizing the the wizard of oz elements because i feel like they were there like it was just it, to me it was clear that 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 that's what he was copying or referencing mm-hmm. in, in, and adding them. Um, so that, that's, that was my approach. Um, and in casting, that was my approach was to find people who, um, of all types and looks and styles and, you know, um, that, that could bring something that felt, um, fresh to these roles and these characters that people always know. Like, for example, um, the, the, Ghost of Christmas Past is always like this little fairy girl. Like she's always very yeah. kind of whimsical and light and, you know. Um, and so I thought, you know, maybe I want to do something maybe a little different with that and, and, and make her maybe really imposing but also full of light. And how can we do that? And, and um, make those spirits from the eras that their name suggests. So past would, would look like she was from the past. She would mm-hmm. be wearing clothes that were different. And future... Um, it was really important that he looked like he wasn't just the Grim Reaper, but he looked like he was from another time too. So um, the style was really important, and I had the designers are really incredible, and and thank goodness they they went with the ideas that I presented. Um, so not only the set designer, but the costume designer, costume designer, sound. There is not a single scene in the show that does not have some sort of underscoring musically mm-hmm. or soundscape it's impressive i mean it's really it's, it was a, quite a uh, quite a challenge um for um anthony um the, the sound designer anthony narcisso he, he composed original music um oh wow oh yeah there's there's actually like original every every spirit has its own theme and its own sound its own instruments that he uses um like present for example there's a lot of french horns and it feels very regal um so a lot of thought went into um choosing sounds and choosing um moods that would fit um scrooge for example has this is uses um there's there's a clock innards of a clock as as percussion for his theme because the clock is always ticking for him and there's this idea of time and time Maybe running out. I mean, you know, we always, with the Christmas Carol, you never really know why this Christmas was important. Like, why was this Christmas that Scrooge right. had to? And um, <clears throat> the idea is, is he, he's what made the most sense to me is he's, he's getting up he's in years. He's wrapping up, yeah. And he's got it. It's now or never. Change now or never. So there has to be that kind of urgency um, for things to move, you know, quickly with the story. So, um yeah, when I was approaching it, those were all themes that came to mind and that I wanted to explore um, and bring out. Uh, it didn't feel as 
saccharine as a lot of versions of a Christmas Carol. It didn't kind of, um, it wasn't as uh, sentimental. I don't tend, I'm not, I don't really, I'm not really drawn to shows or, or any art of any kind that's too sentimental. Um, it's got to earn those moments to me of sentimentality. Mm. And, um, and, and I'm much more drawn to something intellectually than, than emotionally. So that was something that I explored. And that was something that when I cast um, Bobby Bell, who plays our Scrooge, is one of the most intelligent people, actors, just men in general. He directed 1984 at the Garden last season. And so that's where his mindset is. <laughs> and um, he's, he's, he's very political, but he's very thoughtful. And, and um, I knew that he would get the things that I wanted to explore with Scrooge, which was um, Scrooge's, um, his mental state and maybe deterioration that maybe some of this is a dream that he's having. And maybe some of this is his, um, you know, or early Alzheimer's or something setting in. Well, and pent up guilt that he has that, (laughs) you know, he is a human and he does have this level of humanity that he's kind of pushed down Mm -hmm. for the longest time. And yeah, now because of his crumbling sort of, you know, shield, Mm -hmm. now he's having to consider all this. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, when you get to the end of your life and I think you look back, I mean, I can't say this personally, but from people that I've, that I've known and you, you, you kind of take stock in things and you look back at, at, um, those moments that maybe um, affected you in in some extreme way or another, mm-hmm. and to me, that's all that the spirits are doing, especially past, is she's taking him um, back to look at the moments in his life that why did you turn out? Why did you turn out like this? It's less to me the lessons that he learns, because I don't believe people change overnight by learning a lesson. I think that they change by realizing within themselves what got them to that place, self-awareness and um, him looking at, at his life and looking at how other people actually feel about him and, and, and the things, the choices he made and and the way he reacted to certain things. Um, You know, it's very true. We can't help what we can't help what happens to us, but we can help how we react to it. And Scrooge, um, in in the story, there's a lot more that's that's there that's other than is often in in most adaptations, not just the loss of um, a love who who left him, but his um, sister died in childbirth, which mm. is why he resents his nephew so much, Fred, um, and also his father hated him. He threw him out of the house, and there's this father son relationship um, in in the actual story. Um, so there's, there was a lot that happened to him when he was young that set him on this path of, okay, I can't rely on people. So I'm going to rely on things and I'm going to rely on wealth to be my legacy. But what he kind of realizes and and comes to understand is that that's not the legacy that you leave behind. You can't, you can't just leave behind stuff that the relationships and the way you affect people are your legacy. That's what people will remember you. Yeah, and the irony there, too, is that even before he realizes that, he might be winning because he has this wealth, but he's not sharing it with anybody. Exactly. So it's really just there for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's afraid. Yeah, because if you're... So many of the choices he makes are out of fear. And um, I think that that's really relatable. And I think the only way people really change is through empathy. Um, It's not by being scared 
to death. You can't scare someone into changing, really. You can, you can scare someone into maybe acting differently, but not really changing their hearts. Um, empathy is really the only way. And that's, that to me was what happens is that Scrooge opens his heart um, and to, to um, his fellow man, mostly to, mm-hmm. to children. Um, and that was, that was something that was really important when I was researching A Christmas Carol in the original novel and why it was written. I, I discovered that Charles Dickens wrote it because he wanted to draw attention to the plight of um, these children in, in Victorian society who were being forced to work um, in basically sweatshops yep. and workhouses. And the street urchins, <coughs> all that yeah, stuff, yeah. And kept in deplorable conditions. I mean, they were separated from their families um, and they had to, uh, you know, they were paid nothing. Mm-hmm. And um, Scrooge had a friend who was a journalist who wrote an article about it. And he, or not Scrooge, did I say Scrooge? Dickens. Dickens. Yeah. Dickens had a friend who wrote an article about it. And um, he, he wanted to write a pamphlet that he could distribute on the street. Uh, and that was in the spring of 1843. But by the fall, he realized, okay, that's not going to work passing this pamphlet out. People are going to throw it away or whatever. So he... Even then, pamphlets didn't work. Right. Even yeah. then, yeah. Petitions, pamphlets didn't work. Um, <laughs> can you see Dickens on the street with like a clipboard? Like, would you like to sign my... No. Do, do you, uh, okay. you want to vote for... Uh, are you registered to vote? <laughs> uh, yeah. Think of our children, you know. Um, so he, he also was... Um, broke at the time and he realized that writing a, a novel a novella would um be a lot more profitable than writing could help yeah yep. a pamphlet so he wrote um this the story and he he inserted his his radical they really were radical at the time the idea is that employers are responsible for the welfare of their employees um and they should pay them a living wage and even then, that was radical. Could right? still catch on. <laughs> right. Hopefully. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Dickens, where are you? Um, <laughs> and, but he put it in this Christmas story because he knew, you know, and it came you gotta, out. You got to wrap it. Right. You got to put it in this wonderful uh, sort of wrapping and, uh, and disguise it. Dress it up. Yeah. People will people eat it up. And they did eat it up. They loved it. Um, and they didn't realize it was a book, so they actually ate it. It was unfortunate, but yeah. Um, well, Victorian England, yeah, hungry. you were just eating anything, right? It was yeah. yeah. But they they loved it. The first edition sold out before Christmas that year, um, and uh, so it it's it's sort of um, people forget sometimes why it was written, and and they forget that children um, are such an important part of the story. So that was also really important to me is to um, kind of. Um, increase the the kids' roles. We have five children in the show, and 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 I wanted to have them do more than just kind of be, you know, oh, God bless little. us, everyone. Yeah, that yeah, sort of thing. Exactly. I wanted them to be more active and have have a bigger part in it. So, especially ignorance and want, the two characters that kind of get they're either like scary and dark. It's, it's spirit of Christmas. Um, present reveals them and they're these two children that come out of her robe and one is ignorance and one is want and um what they actually represent people don't understand that she's saying that society is responsible for these two children Mm -hmm. um and if they don't do something about about it to, to take care of them that they will be doomed she says doom is written on the head of the the boy and um that's absolutely true that you know, it's it's society's responsibility to take care of these children, 
And um, I really wanted to emphasize that, um, you know, there's only so much you can do without changing the script. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> an interesting <laughs> component. And I do want to talk about that because yeah. the, and thank you for all that information Sorry, about the show. Wikipedia. Thank you. I'm no, kidding. no, no, I'm no. kidding. I'm kidding. It's not. <laughs> but I, okay. So there's a couple of things I wanted to talk about. For some reason, the idea of world building jumped out to me. Yes. I'm sorry. Um, over the track. break. Mm-hmm. And to me, talking to a director, somebody who's taking somebody else's work mm-hmm. and trying to interpret it, but still trying to build mm-hmm. the escape, trying to build this this place where we can go and say, okay, I'm going to suspend my disbelief for a little while mm-hmm. and watch this play and try to get everything out of it. And you have to, you're responsible along with the, uh, along with the cast along with the crew the designers, yeah. of, of creating yeah. this world for us. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about that because I think there's something to that phrase that's beyond what it was originally intended for, which was actually, I think, novel writing mm-hmm. and specifically in science fiction mm-hmm. and young adult dystopian futures, like the world building of Hunger Games, like mm-hmm. that world that people, Pangea or whatever it's called, or Star Wars where there's this multi-world society that exists and stuff like that so i wanted not to get into two big things on the on cyber monday uh (laughs) but we're going to so let's play a song first okay this is one of your christmas songs that you picked out grace potter i love this song christmas moon anything you want to say about it it's just delightful i was on like a compilation that i found and i love her voice it's very whimsical it feels like it's out of a tim burton movie or something it's i just yeah it's really pretty okay So we'll play that and you'll hear that on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to Odd Numbers. Every week. That's how often Nick is on the radio with amazing people from around Orlando. There are community leaders and dancers, improvisers and photographers, entrepreneurs and authors, and many, many more. If you like what you're hearing, consider subscribing to the podcast. Or if you already subscribe, follow the show on social media. If you do both of these things already, don't stop. Believe in. Now back to the show. Grace Potter on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. That was Christmas Moon. Good morning. My name is Nick. You're listening to a special edition of To a Certain Degree called Odd Numbers. That's when I have returning guests. And in this case, three-time, four-time visitor Four, four yeah, times, third four. year in a row. It's third like, year in a row yeah. for Cyber Monday. Mm-hmm. This is an annual tradition. It's both of our favorite holidays. It is the most meaningful one, I think, from a, a human perspective. Yes, human interaction um, and lack thereof yeah. is very important. Yeah. Also, yeah. the word cyber. Cyber. We're holding on to that word. It's just fun. It's the only time I think I ever use it when <laughs> really? I say Cyber Monday. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's good. I never say cyber anything else. I like that. So, Science fiction mm-hmm. is cyber. a place you would normally see cyber. Yes. So this is what I wanted to talk about yes. because I did some research on what world building means. Okay. And to me, it, it had a different meaning, but traditionally it's meant that you are coming up with uh, a book, typically mm-hmm. you're writing a book, typically, uh, or maybe making a movie, mm-hmm. and you have to create the mythology Mm -hmm. behind it Mm -hmm. um so whatever that is whether that's a 
uh, again, a um, uh, young adult dystopian future mm-hmm. type of situation. So it's a little bit like it's a little bit in the future, but this is what's changed where, you know, we now have these ways of uh, uh, separating people out mm-hmm. by some sort of uh, degree. Uh, so it's, you know, Hunger Games is the classic one. So they live in the 12 districts. And as you get down to the 12th, it's the poorer of the districts. Uh, Science fiction, Star Wars is on, you know, my mind because I was a fan of it growing up. And now the last movie of the Skywalker quintology is coming out or however you pronounce that. Or if that's a word. That's a word. Whatever it is. Legacy. Yes. Yeah. But to me, you also world build on your own. So mm-hmm. I was just in Columbus, Ohio and Columbus to me, the, if you would ask me when I was six, seven years old, what Columbus was, mm-hmm. it was four houses, mm-hmm. right? Like going up there, we didn't go out much. We went to each other's houses for the holidays to visit and to eat mm-hmm. basically. So, you know, going up for Christmas, mm-hmm. we would go, we'd stay at my grandmother's house. We'd go to my aunt and uncles. We'd go to my other aunts. We'd go to some cousins or some more distant relatives. And that was the world of Columbus, Ohio to me. Okay. And as I got older, this world opened up a little bit more. Now it had always existed there, but to me it was building up this world that I didn't know was there that was an opportunity for me that maybe I even had in my head that it was, it had to be this way. Mm -hmm. And so there couldn't be these other things in it that were enjoyable, that were, uh, uh, you know, they maybe I I didn't consider they had a foodie scene because the only places I went to visit were the malls there because my uncle had, you know, as I got older, my uncle had restaurants in the food court. And so those were the only places that I ever went to visit. So, yeah, they had the same stores there that we have here. They have the same restaurants, except for my uncle's there, that they have here. You know, so that was where I think it came from, is just going to visit this place for the umpteenth million time, but also for the first time. Sure. Because I had these expectations in my head. Now, as a director, and I want to take it back to what you're doing on the stage, Mm -hmm. because this is, as a writer, I kind of understand what you need to do. Like, you know, you can, if you're going to write a science fiction type of story, especially the big sprawling one, or a fantasy, Mm -hmm. right? George R. R. Martin, Mm -hmm. uh, the people who did Game of Thrones, had to create this world and convey the rules. And sometimes they break the rules. Sure. Um, And I don't know that they mean to, Mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes that happens. But when you're creating a world on stage, Mm -hmm. which is much more limited than television, which is much more limited than a novel, and limited in the sense of, you know, you can only do so much. The logistics, yeah. 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 Uh, The physics, you can do a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, But how, how do you approach something like that, whether it's with, uh, Christmas Carol, which mm-hmm. is playing now at the Garden Theater, as we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. which everybody should go to to see how you built that, uh, or any of the other shows that you've done, because I know you also like to do shows in unusual places, um, mm-hmm. in places where you wouldn't normally see a show necessarily. You know, we had talked about one point doing a show in the radio station. Yeah, I still want to do that. Yeah, so sometime. once we move back, once into, there's a real station, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Yeah. um, World building from a theater perspective. Yeah, it it's different, right? It's different for each um, 
each example, each situation is, is different. When I'm doing something that is site specific, um, usually I think about what the perspective of the piece is like, whose perspective is it? Who's, mm-hmm. who is the protagonist? What, how is this space going to help tell the story? Because to me, it all comes back to the story. And if it's something like Equus, where it's in, I, I chose to set Equus in a barn um, and not just because um, a good portion of the play happens in a barn, but it's because the main character, Alan, feels the most safe um, and the most kind of at home in this stable, in, this, in, in, the, in the barn with the horses. So I wanted it to be in his world, in his mind mm-hmm. almost, not literally in his mind, you know. But um, so when I when I decided to do Equus, it was finding a barn to do it. It was just a no brainer to me. Um, if it's something like Dracula, I, I found that space um, that was at a place called Carmine Boutique, which was an, was an antique taxidermy store mm-hmm. with this Edwardian fetish club in the back. And so much about Dracula to me was about pain and pleasure and where the two intersect and that, you know, fetish club. Um, so, <laughs> so the idea and, you know, and plus it was a place that not a lot of people would go. I don't think just to think about, right. to see, you know, theater. So to yeah. help transport them into mm-hmm. the world that you're trying to build as a director, mm-hmm. you're taking them to that place literally. Literally. Yeah. In some cases. Yeah. And getting them in the mindset of, okay, like, I mean, they had a giant life-size human cage um, was, I mean like metal not just like cage you know mm-hmm. like we put children in um, but a cage that <laughs> sorry um, but a cage that that um, you know like a bird cage like a giant you know and that and there's a character Renfield who 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 has a bird and a cage and he you know ends up eating the bird so it's like okay we'll put then we'll put Renfield in a cage just like that because he's the caged bird but it was there and they had it and I was like I'm gonna use it yeah and um so a lot of things like that are are gifts that you just know what to use and know what to get rid of. Um, and I mean, they had a giant, this this giant, beautiful box. Um, it looked like a casket. It was huge though, and I and it was on wheels, and it was for you know deprivation stuff, whatever kink you know which is cool it's people are into that that's great um but i was like oh no dracula's that's going to be his crypt that's going to be his you know box so some of those things are exist and i think you just have to know when to jump on those opportunities and yeah. be, be aware of those things um with something like when, when you're starting kind of from scratch with um something like a christmas carol um it's you really have to decide what version of okay so we know that takes place in victorian england and i wanted to set it in victoria i didn't want to do anything outrageous you didn't want to move it to some other era right and and we talked a little bit about how it felt like there was a steampunk vibe to it originally in terms of the interpretive or the interpretation of this particular work right that you wanted to take away so that is it's also a team of people kind of coming up. So it's not yeah. just like a, I'm writing a book so I can do whatever with the world that mm-hmm. I want and maybe an editor looks at it. This is a team of people that you need everybody's buy-in. Yes. Um, because you don't strike me. I, you haven't directed me ever other than today, which you gave me the script. Yes. And you told You're me how you well. wanted yeah. me to to approach all, all of these words that I'm reading off of the script right that, now. Oh, my God. That hand gesture you did yeah. just then? 
Thank that you. Good. That was really good. Yeah, I liked that, and you and it was in, and I liked it because it wasn't in the stage directions. He gestures with his hand. You did that on your own, so I appreciate that. I, I did Keep make it. a couple of notes. Keep it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All of this is scripted. It's quite it's amazing. Totally scripted. Uh, but the idea of having that team around you yeah. to help you interpret it and to help you again create this world because you're doing it for a very specific audience in terms mm-hmm. of like literally the person who's going to sit in those seats mm-hmm. um, or the people who are going to sit in those seats. You have to make it for them. You have to deliver enough mm-hmm. without how, I, I guess, what's the balance, right? Because you could, thinking about Dracula, for example, you could have used everything in that room, but that would have been overwhelming, too much. Yeah, excessive. And, and not all of it would have fit. I mean, they had this weird dentist chair, you know, in there and they had all kinds of other, this piano that someone could lay in. And when you played certain keys, it would shock them and like mm. stuff like that, which is interesting, you know, but not, you know, um, not for this production. Yeah. But, and with this, it's kind of the same. You don't want to like, I don't, I'm not one of those directors that just throws everything at the wall and sees what stick. I see what sticks. I don't, there's some directors that do that and that's fine. But I, I, I deconstruct first. I get rid of everything until it's at its base foundation of like skeletal. What do we absolutely have to have? And what is this absolutely, you know, set wise, what mm-hmm. do we have to have? And that was a lot of the beginning was, was me sitting down with the designers, um, uh, Kyle Ransbottom and, and um, Mike Wood, AJ Garcia, who did costumes, these people. And, and we talked about what was absolutely necessary um, for this world and, and to tell the story. So for example, you know, it starts off with Scrooge in bed and okay, well we have to have a bed or well, there was like a chair and I was like, no, I want to have a bed because the bed moves around and we can do some neat things with it moving off and on and wheeling in and out. And it's really cool. There was also this kind of concept overall with the show, with the play that, um, and it came from one line that a character says that things aren't always what they seem. And um, that happens with the reveal of the three vendors I was talking about earlier. It happens with, um, there's just a a lot of um, surprises, little things, discoveries. Mm -hmm. Um, Scrooge has a, uh, has a, has a maid in this version who then um, comes back as Marley. Um, And you don't see that coming when it happens, unless you read the program, which. (laughs) Or you listen to the show. Right. Listen to the show, which. Nobody does, but no, it's fine. <laughs> but that's true. <laughs> no, but but those little surprises, right? Or like where she comes from, where the different spirits enter from, are so surprising and kind of. So to me, I wanted that to carry over into the set too. So the set has some surprises, some things that you don't necessarily see coming, and um, not all of them. Like nobody flies. I mean, it's this is the you know. There's no. Like it's not the space. Peter Pan interpretation right. of a Christmas Carol, That's... right? This isn't like you know Broadway. Like you know, it's a very it's it, the Garden Stage. While it's lovely, it is actually pretty small because it used to be a movie theater. So they are kind of limited. But what I loved was that their team um, worked with me to to create a world and create an aesthetic that, that felt kind of bigger than it was like things coming in and moving out and changing it. Like, like where would they put all that? Because there's no wing space. There's no fly space, but the way that they um, designed it feels almost like a, a, a pop-up book in a way, or like it's, you know, it's very surprising. So um, 
Here's a, yeah. So from a world building perspective, this yeah. is something that I was thinking of. Uh, Dracula less so, mm -hmm. but definitely a Christmas Carol. It has been told yeah. quite a few times. Mm -hmm. You're you're more than likely familiar with the story uh, at its base level. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, not everybody's read the book, but more than likely they've seen some version yeah. of a movie with or without songs and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Do you feel like it's a little easier to tell that story then because people are coming in as opposed to an Equus, for example, mm -hmm. which people might know nothing about when mm -hmm. they're coming into it mm -hmm. uh, or some of the other plays that you've done where mm -hmm. they don't know anything about it. Is it easier to establish the scene, establish the world um, or on the other hand, is it harder because people know it, you have to almost do more work in order to get them to take it seriously or to to be invested in it. I think it's harder because people have their favorite Christmas carol and mm -hmm. coming into it, they have it and they know how it should be. Like Scrooge should be like this and this person should look like this and this should happen. And if this doesn't happen, then it's not... Then Something's I, wrong then because it's like not it. mine. Right. And it's yeah. not the one I'm used to. And I don't yep. feel like this. And I don't, you know, um, they're a lot less open to just, there's a lot less open and, 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 and to experiencing new, a new feeling, a new reaction to it. Um, so it is a challenge, but it's not really one that I, I don't think I ever considered like, oh, we have to make this a new, yeah. I just wanted to make it mine and my idea of what this world would look like, which feels more natural looking than, um, some versions of it. Um, I always hated those, um, anytime London in, in, in Victorian London is, is, is presented in kind of like a clean you know sparkly everyone's everyone they're all wearing everyone was wearing like mary poppins kind of be yeah yeah that's 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 much later that's later yeah. but yeah but like yeah that kind of clean and like everyone's like looks really healthy and really you know uh the streets you know everything's sparkling and there's white and you know like oh, it's just so strange to me this it was really important that this ver this version this world seemed mm, not not I won't say gritty because Kyle, the the scenic designer, hates that word, but um, textured and and raw and a little dirty and a little grimy, um, a little bit. You know, this isn't. It, we didn't want to go Sweeney Todd with it, which mm. is like you know, kind of the other extreme of horror, but um, but darker. Um, so we have like certain, we have little gas lights and gas lamps all around, and we use footlights um, like traditional theater footlights so has this kind of warm glow on people's faces and the kind of flicker right. a little bit to kind of give it a little texture to what they're seeing in shadow, very dramatic shadows and things like that. Hmm. That, that to me, it is a darker version. So, and I think I know that that was a choice for me. And I think it was a choice for the other designers because then when Scrooge's redemption happens and there is joy and light that it's much more impactful and dramatic um, to have that all of a sudden, as opposed to the entire thing being kind of candy colored and, and brighter and, and um, heightened. It is a heightened world. Sure. Of course. Um, but it is a more, um, it is a darker world and it's a more, it's a gloomier world. I mean, it's raining. I mean, in the play that's, that's set that in this version that it's the entire first act, it's raining as opposed to snowing. Um, so it's 
people are going to have umbrellas and it's going to be very dark and grim. And, um, well, that was a weird sound effect. There. We didn't go dark, and dark and grim and motorcycles and going motorcycles. by. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize what we that was. We were very there. close to the road here <laughs> at the WPRK <laughs> studios. Um, but so that was important. That mood, the like, mood is so important. And that, that to me in creating a world is just as important as the visuals. Um, Sometimes the world is like ours, but just a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So I had one of the movies I had down uh, that we could potentially talk about. I don't know if you saw it, The Lobster. Yeah. By Yorgos Lenthimos. So yeah. it there is no establishment of how things are different in this world. Mm-hmm. You just jump right in. And essentially, it's just like ours, but one or two rules have changed. Yeah. And I was thinking about Christmas Carol from that perspective because I, I think one of the things that appeals to me is that at some point I can be redeemed. I can be yes. visited by my own version of the ghosts. Right. Um, hopefully I don't, Right? question mark, because I am, uh, in theory, a, a decent person. In theory. I, I'm talking that now to my ghosts who might be coming <laughs> in the future. Um, but the idea is that I can be redeemed. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a... A, a very visceral way of doing it rather than just a spiritual way you of doing yourself. it. You redeem yourself. Yeah. You make the choice. You make the of choice. Of course. Yes. But I would love to have some <laughs> guidance in <laughs> that. I would love to, uh, you know, have this Scrooge type of experience where I'm being shown the things. Like I kind of have an idea of what I did wrong, <laughs> but I wouldn't mind some help with that. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, what people can do, you know, when 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 you have those experiences, it you know is you you make the choice to no longer look at your own ego and your own mortality. I mean, that's the part where in this version that's slightly different is that that I chose to make different. It's not even it's not in the script at all. But where Scrooge is obsessed with the gravestone at the very end, and and you have. Uh, the spirit of Christmas future holding up his gravestone mm-hmm. and he's saying, you know, oh, can I, you know, race the, the, the writing on the gravestone. But then at the very end of that, he makes the choice to live in the past, the present, the future and, 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 um, and, and live in those lessons that he's learned. And he turns from the gravestone and he embraces the two children, ignorance and want and making the choice like, okay, this is not, I'm going to choose for this not to be. You can't do, the future has no control. The future is what we make it. And for him to actively turn away from that and embrace the present and the things that he can control, um, which is the, you know, the future of these children, the future, you know, that that um, that's his redemption, that's his salvation. Mm-hmm. So you can lead a person up to a certain point, but then they have to make that choice. And um, so humanity, I guess, in building this world, uh, aside from the ghosts, I really wanted to balance it with humanity and with Scrooge's humanity. Um, well, and all the, I mean, all the characters, but um, it's so important that it doesn't seem like out of nowhere that Scrooge just turns just into changes. this yeah, yeah person. He has to make a change. It's not like all of a sudden like, oh, I'm scared of death. And so I'm going to just I'm going to be good, you know. No, that works for kids and like Elf on the Shelf and all that, but like it's not; it doesn't work for people. Um, now you think about it, if 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 these spirits, you talk about yourself, okay? Yes, you're one person. You're you're you know, but like think about 
like politicians. Think about these people that like, if they were visited by spirits, they can't deal with facts. They can't deal with science. Do you think being visited by three spirits is going to change? Like there's got to be. But I mean, same thing you could argue with Scrooge. Sure. Like if you are faced with your own mortality. Right. If you are it in your face, Mm -hmm. then maybe you do something a little bit differently. Maybe. And maybe if you also, yeah, if, or if you're faced with other, if you are faced with your own mortality, but also other people's mortality, other yes. people's um, work, what can you do to help this other person? Well, can you make it real for them? Right. Right. Because, uh, you know, to an extent, Scrooge is in denial. Yeah. The entire oh, yeah. first part of the story. Right. Right. That he is doing anything wrong to your right. point of because his motivations are pure to him mm-hmm. right so yeah so he needs to be shown that in that world yeah and that and so yeah so i think in in creating you know this this heightened you know, reality or whatever um it, working with with actors which is like i mean it's it's you can create the most beautiful set. You can have the most beautiful soundtrack you can have all the you know the lighting can be gorgeous and everything but if the acting isn't grounded in something that's truthful and honest, mm. even in something like a Christmas Carol, you know, that is heightened. Um, it doesn't mean anything. Right. It, it, it'll, it'll still be, be wasted. Yeah. So, so having the actors and having the cast, having the characters be, be real people as much as they can be um, in the story uh, was, was really important. And having even, even these spirits, um, giving them some kind of backstory. I mean, I told the, I told the actors, the, the spirits of, of past, present, future, what's your life? I mean, they talk about like, my time is almost gone. You know, well, where, where do they go after this? The time is almost going to, they die or they go on to someone else. Like, is this their job? None of them are emotionally invested in this, you know? So you, you kind of get into that with the actors and, and it makes it, um, they have a reason for being there then other than just like, well, because this is what it says to do. <laughs> so are they professional ghosts? Right. I they think. are professional ghosts. Yeah. 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 And they go from person to person. Uh-huh. Like That's I've got an hour with you and now I've got to go. I got to go. Yeah. I got uh, other appointments. Now we call that, they call them therapists. That's what we call them. Oh yeah. <laughs> professional ghosts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, let's leave it at that for now. We're already at the end of the first hour. Awesome. Jeremy, it goes by so quickly. It does. I'm a joy to talk to. So uh, <laughs> we have a few commercials, and we're going to play a song. We'll be back with Jeremy Sagers in a few minutes. Uh, Christmas Carol, of course, is happening at uh, the Garden Theater over in Winter Garden. A Christmas Carol, a ghost story of Christmas, and that's through December 22nd. You can find the Garden Theater on all of the social medias and just on the web. You can use the Google to find that. I don't know why I'm putting the in front of everything, but that is how it is. You're listening to Odd Numbers on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. Radio host, copywriter, podcaster, public speaker, small business consultant, teacher. You know Nick is having mad interview skills. Did you know he does many, many other things? If you want to learn more about him and what he's up to, and maybe hire him for a project, Visit to a certain degree.com. Now back to the show. Flaming Lips on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to Odd Numbers. My name is Nick. I do this every week, and every week I have a very special guest. In this case, my ever present Cyber Monday guest, 
Jeremy Sagers is here. Good morning, Jeremy. Good morning. Director of A Christmas Carol, A Ghost Story of Christmas at the Garden Theater right now. Uh, it's through December 22nd, but yes. I also wanted to note that on December 5th, you'll have the ASL interpreted version of mm-hmm. A Christmas Carol. And then on December 7th is the sensory friendly mm-hmm. uh, interpretation or version of mm-hmm. A Christmas Carol. So I was really uh, wanted to make sure that we promoted that and that we pointed out that those are coming up this week so and what uh, that means just anyone who doesn't know real quickly that just means that the lights are brought up a little bit the um sound i believe is turned down slightly and the effects are adjusted um to to be more subtle um Mm -hmm. for audiences and that may be sensitive to that it's also a great time for people to bring children um because they are allowed to get up and walk around um yep children and adults with Mm -hmm. any kind of sensory processing Mm -hmm. disorders um, and then I believe for that show in particular, people are welcome to bring blankets and mm-hmm. pillows and noise reducing headphones, snacks, anything to make uh, everybody more comfortable. Mm-hmm. And it, it is a little, I won't say it's scary, but it, it can be a little, you know, jarring and surprising and creepy. Sure. So, so that's a, it's a, it's a great thing that they're doing by offering, offering these performances. Yeah. So thank you very much for that. <coughs> Garden Theater, yes. look that up to get your tickets for Christmas Carol. Again, that's running through December 22nd Yoshimi Battle, uh, part one from Yoshimi Battle's The Pink Robots. That was the Flaming Lips. And one of the reasons I played that is because science fiction and fantasy were a big part of my world. And I think playing something like that where we have, uh, you know, talking about Christmas and holiday songs (laughs) that are not necessarily like at some point we're going to battle the robots. Right. So this might as well be... (laughs) A, a holiday song that we play on a regular basis. But <laughs> when we talk about world building, which is something that came to mind for some reason over the Thanksgiving break for me, you know, it's this, it's the science fiction, it's the mm-hmm. fantasy worlds that um, always I wanted to be transported to as a kid. Uh, but it was never the horror worlds. Like I remember seeing mm-hmm. Time Bandits when I was very young and just that I already had enough uh, fear of being abandoned by my parents that the end of that movie really freaked me out God. to no end. <laughs> but, you know, from a horror movie standpoint, they made um, not fun of it, but there was, uh, they were very tongue in cheek when it came to the Scream movies, especially the first one. Sure. Yeah. And you started talking about the horror movie rules. If this happens, mm-hmm. you're going to get killed. If this happens, you're going to get killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we're always getting so mad at people in horror movies or zombie movies or something like that because, it's like, how do you, how do you not know the rules? Mm-hmm. Like, you should know the rules. You've seen enough movies. Mm-hmm. You should probably know the rules. So, do you have any favorite? horror movies do you feel like some of them have been built uh in such a way that the mythology can continue going on um or are you you know sometimes they go on for too long of course (laughs) but uh, i wasn't sure if you really liked horror movies uh in terms of uh uh, the world building aspect of it i do i like um <clears throat> I do like horror movies. Yeah. <laughs> That's the short answer. I mean, it's the holidays are coming up. We should talk right. about horror movies. <laughs> I like the bridge between, you know, Halloween and Christmas. Um, there's some great Christmas horror movies. Um, like uh, Gremlins, for example. That's a, mm. that's a terrific world building um, you know, if we want to call it horror or sci-fi or whatever, but the the world that they built, um, you know, in which these gremlins exist and all the rules 
that they very have. defined rules very right? defined rules and um and gratefully they did not go on past the second movie i mean it was it they kept it you know, to just the two films. Yeah. So it didn't wear out the franchise. Um, but I love that as I think, and I think it is a Christmas movie. I count it as a Christmas movie. Um, but I do like horror movies. I like, I like Halloween. Um, I like, um, I like, I like scream. I think they probably did wear that out a little bit though. Um, but, uh, I think, you know, it, it becomes, it goes past like eye rolling that he he lives so long. I'm talking mm-hmm. about Michael Myers and, and sure. a lot of these guys that keep coming. Any back, of the know. evil characters, right? Yeah. And where it becomes where you just can't wait to see how they survive this thing, right? You know, the last one where they they kind of brought it back with Jamie Lee and 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 you had it end with him and it's like okay, this is gonna be it. He's gonna die now. But now that you know it was it was just announced that they're doing another one and a sequel to this. I was like, but I thought the last one was going to be the, mm-hmm. you know, but you just can't. I think when they finally, um, you know, you cut off the guy's head and he still somehow, you know, it's reattached the next time or it's a whatever, you know, then it just becomes, um, you know, it's almost comical and it's commenting on itself. So, um, I like horror movies. I like, I love, well, Hitchcock, which you wouldn't really consider horror more, more thriller. Sure. But the worlds that he created, um, the the whole idea you talk about you know you were talking about columbus and being very isolated the world feeling very small um to like four houses when you look at something like psycho where the world really becomes narrowed into that hotel mm-hmm. and um that's norman bates's world and once you realize that it's his story um you understand why he did that because his world is so small. His world has become his mother, has become that hotel. And you get a sense of the claustrophobia and the lack of human interaction and social, you know, interaction. And, and, and um, that's, that's genius because it starts out in, in Phoenix and it's kind of broad. And then she's, she's driving, 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 big open road, open spaces, open spaces. And then you get to the last two thirds of the film or th- even three quarters of the film, and it's just the hotel. All or the inside. Motel, motel. Yeah. It's just the motel. Yeah, it's inside. It's just those grounds. It's the house and the motel. And that that's genius for him to have have done that. I mean, a lot of those, you can, we could go on and on about Hitchcock's well, genius, but yeah. And Rear Window, that reminds me, Definitely. but just, and as simply as it was done, mm-hmm. is the opening credits. Yeah. And the score and the uh, uh, the first song mm-hmm. that they're just panning around, mm-hmm. you know, I saw that for the first time, and that's all you need to do to build a world. In some cases, mm-hmm. um, there's also, I think, with science fiction and fantasy, you know, you look at Game of Thrones or even the New West World. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need to introduce everything early on. Right. We can trust the audience enough to introduce things later. Now, the issue that I have with that typically when it comes to science fiction and specifically to uh, later on Star Wars and maybe even some of the Matrix as they have announced that they're going to do another one of those is you, you change if you change the rules dramatically in this sort of shared universe, then everything that has been prologue up to this means nothing anymore. Right. You know, and that's frustrating to me. Uh, when I see something like that in a Star Wars, not because I'm I'm particularly invested in the universe, although I am, mm-hmm. uh, because it was something that I grew up with and was something that was from a storytelling perspective that was meaningful to me. But I I want to make sure that 
you know, I'm not pulled out of my suspension of disbelief. Mm-hmm. I'm already, you know, they've got laser swords and they're flying around in space in ways that, you know, what we understand a spacecraft would probably not fly at all. They wouldn't fly around like airplanes. Right. right. Bottom line. Right. Um, that is basically not how space, but I'm willing to, to spend my disbelief <laughs> oh, on physics. most of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, so I want to make sure that, you know, for me and my perspective that I can, uh, suspend my disbelief. And I think that's hard sometimes. It is. And and you go back and, and, you know, especially with something like Star Wars that they have kept kind of reinventing and I won't even say reinventing, but adding things, um, to the story that we go back and we watch the old ones and I'm like, well, okay, well, but those, they left out this part, you know, there's a meme going around where Obi-Wan is giving, um, Luke Skywalker. So this is your father's, you know, lightsaber and yeah. you know, he killed 30 children with it, you know, like <laughs> he left that part out, you know, <laughs> like, um, so, <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's fun though. Right. Because, uh, it is adding, it's embellishing, but that's, that's, that's what we do with storytelling anyway. It's like game of telephone, right? You are the oral tradition. It gets passed sure. down. It's like that. But, you know, now we just have it recorded, you know, in different ways. Um, so you could take a story like um, uh, you could take a story like a Christmas Carol, you know, like you could take it. You know, we, we have the we have the novel. We have what it's the source material. And you can have somebody like Michael Wilson who did this adaptation and they can add things to it. And it to me, does it does it change anything? No, because you have the source material. You can go back and read that if you really want the yeah. actual, you know, what, what he was writing, what he was going for. Or you can have a new interpretation of it. Um, it doesn't change anything. You know, you st- really, it's just another version. It's another version of reality. Take it or leave it, you know? Take the first, take the trilogy. If you just, if you're a purist and you don't want to go any further, take the original trilogy, Star Wars trilogy. And be done with it. And be done with it. Um, Or ignore the prequels and just take the trilogy and everything that came after. Whatever. It doesn't, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not literal. It's not a religion. It's not like you have to take all or nothing. It's, it's. It's, you know, it's fun. It should be fun, right? It's entertainment. <laughs> it should be fun. So, yeah, I agree. When you take it too seriously, um, and I'll, I'll use, rather than go into Star Wars, right. um, I'll take Matrix, for example. Okay. Um, so we understand the rules of the Matrix for the most part because they were established in the first movie mm-hmm. and they were kind of, I, I don't think anybody necessarily um, uh, changed the rules in the second and the third one. Yeah. But there was a... Uh, matrix animation uh, so they allowed all these different creators to uh, do these animated short stories about being in the matrix whether that was the robots or maybe the war that happened between the robots and the humans mm-hmm. that established it and there was one version where if a normal human mm-hmm. saw trinity then he could turn into an he or she could turn into an agent automatically oh and i was like well that changes all of the rules mm-hmm. within the matrix and they can't sneak around. They can't just walk around in plain sight hmm. because anybody who saw them would immediately change into an agent. That was, yeah. and I, I realized that I'm getting very nitpicky with, you know, again, being able to suspend my disbelief, mm-hmm. but those are the types of things that I look for. Whereas where I'm reading a comic book mm-hmm. and I'm just like, yep, superpowers. <laughs> yeah, they got them. <laughs> that's good yeah <laughs> i don't need the the justification necessarily right right 
That's interesting that different media takes on different. Now, in the world of The Matrix, because I'm a lot less familiar with it, is this considered like canon? Is this like, is this accepted Yeah, I'm not now? sure. I'm not sure if that's fanfic, the, yeah. the way it is. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And I'm sure somebody's yelling at me uh, through the radio that that oh, right. was the rule established in this area. People take things so seriously, so personally. Yeah, which is why I, I yeah. love the passion. I just yeah. don't want you connecting your own ego to it. Right. Yeah. It's not, yeah, they didn't, they didn't go out to kill, to, to hurt you. Right. You know, in those moments, I want to just post a meme of Kathy Bates screaming, he didn't get out of the cockadoody car. Because that's what it reminds me of. Nice. <laughs> From Misery. Like, talk about a horror movie. I mean, but that's, I think, you know, it's, Stephen King uh, wrote that, you know, 30 years ago um, of this obsessed fan. And it's, but it's true with every fan girl, fan boy mm. out there that, that obsesses over. It's like, okay, calm down. <laughs> it's just, Take it's just entertainment. Back. We're good. Yeah, yeah we're yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's leave it at that for now. Okay. <laughs> uh, you picked another Christmas song for us oh, for yes. today. Ella Fitzgerald, mm -hmm. I think is how you pronounce her name. Probably yes. not. Right. Jingle Bells. Mm -hmm. I think she's related to F. Scott, I think. I don't think so. Really? No. Oh, he had a lovely scatting voice range. Did he really? Yes. Oh. He's a very accomplished scatter. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I'm not laughing. Uh, Jingle Bells on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to Odd Numbers. Before this podcast is available on Apple, Google, and Spotify... It is a live show on WPRK-FM in Winter Park, Florida. Nick and his guests are live every Monday morning starting at 7 a.m. That's when the show is at peak freshness. If you're interested in people in Orlando who are doing neat things, then you should definitely listen regularly. Now back to the show. We're all just crazy about horses. I'm so Ella crazy Fitzgerald. about horses. On WPRK, Winter Park, Florida, <laughs> Jingle Bells, her rendition of Jingle Bells. So, she's so fun. So fun. I love it. I just, it, she's, it's like she's smiling every time she's singing. You just yeah. see her smile. Oh, yeah. I you can it. feel it. Yeah. Can, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm crazy about horses. And speaking of Equus earlier, he was crazy about horses too, he, in, a, in a different way. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's my understanding of that play. Jeremy Sager is my very special guest today, as he always is for Cyber Monday, or at least the last three years. Two years. This yes. will be year three. Three, yes. Oh, I know. Time flies. I know. I'm wearing this Bill Murray shirt, and I was thinking, like, I'm, I am like the Bill Murray to your David Letterman. If this was the David Letterman, the late whatever his other show was that he had. That so <laughs> if I was talented, right, and, and if you I was were famous, famous. yeah, yep. Mm -hmm. yep. yeah, we would ju be just like them, <laughs> just like them, a hundred percent. Jeremy, yes, I have some questions for you. Okay, and I have answers. Or rather. Mm -hmm. Chris Crespo has some questions for you. Chris Crespo, oh. a very talented trivia uh, aficionado okay. and also somebody who does trivia around town. He is also the producer and one of the people on the Simon Time trivia show. Simon Time usually does the trivia. Mm -hmm. He was out this past weekend because it was a holiday. So Chris Crespo did the trivia. You can check him out. Cinema Crespo Diso, which is a wonderful and probably he talks about world building all the time uh, because he talks about movies uh, it's a great podcast. PFT Media is a great podcast network. So he's got some questions for you. Okay. There are steaks. Oh. Jeremy. I'm a vegetarian, so I don't... Perfect. Okay. If you get all five right, mm -hmm. 
guess what? We become best friends for the week. Oh, cool. Okay. If you get, I'm gonna I'm gonna change this up. If you get yeah. two or fewer right, yeah, which would be one or zero, mm-hmm. then we become bitter enemies. For so the we just, week. we just go back to like last week then. We just okay. go back to our normal. Okay, got it. All yeah, right. relationship. All right, here we go. So tires cut. Yeah. Uh, doorbell taped over so it continuously rings. Continuous. Wow. It's the, it's the biggest prank I could think of just I then. just like the fact that you added, uh, you gave me a doorbell to tape over because I don't have one. So that's, I, I, mean, I, install, I appreciate it. But. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to install ring. Uh-huh. So that you have your door is constantly telling you that something's going on. Okay. On your phone. Okay. Okay. Like it. That does seem like revenge for something. All right. So we will get started with this quiz. Okay. Right now. Hey, Nick. This is Chris Crespo from the Simon Time Trivia Show. Sitting for Simon to give you five Christmas-themed trivia questions for you and your guest, Jeremy. So let's begin. Question number one. In A Christmas Carol, how many ghosts visit Ebenezer Scrooge? So in the classic. Right, in the classic. Yeah, well, there's four, really, because there's Marley and then there's the three uh, past, present, future. The answer, the total amount of guests visiting Ebenezer Scrooge in A Christmas Carol would be four. Four ghosts. Yeah, thought I was going to get you with that one. Yeah, I, but yeah, I mean, you're directing I did, Christmas Carol. I did read so. the play once. Okay, great. So. <laughs> well, the Marley one could throw people. It should. It could. Yeah. yeah. Well, then technically he's the ghost. The other three are spirits. Okay. Well, if we're going to get technical, then <laughs> fine. So ghost you're meaning he was alive once, and the spirits were not never actually alive. Do you That's think the there's difference. a waiting room where the spirits are that Absolutely. we could write a play about? I've seen Beetlejuice. I know how it works. Yeah. Yeah. They're no. just hanging out there waiting. <laughs> just, yeah. uh, what time is it? I got to go visit this Ebenezer dude. Absolutely. Yeah. Just have a little cigarette. Yeah. yeah. That would be fun. That's a fun play. Question two. What does the X stand for in the word Xmas? Oh, this is a Greek thing, right? Mm-hmm. This is Greek, um, and it's uh, oh, oh gosh, what's the name of it? I should know. I should know this because I um, I learned it once upon a time. Um, well, if we were all church. supposed to know what we learned once upon a time, no, then we would have a lot more my dad, stuff in our heads. My dad is a minister, and he explained it why 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 spelling Xmas was not taking the Christ out of Christmas because it was actually Christ. I mean, it stood for that. So, but the actual word in Greek, I, I don't remember. Okay. Well, but Christ. Then. Yes. Christ. Yeah. 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 The correct answer. X yeah. stands for Christ. Okay. As in Christmas. Yeah. So it's uh he is right. the letter. So for Christos. Christ, right. There yeah. you go. Right. Because we do have a K and, or a K sound. Um, right. But yeah, we don't use that. Right. Like Greek is very weird. Right. Um, so there's no real B sound. So like there's uh, no B sound. No, nothing. There's a beta, but uh-huh. that's more of a V. Okay. So if you're trying to do a B sound, um, like if you see signs in Greece or mm-hmm. if they're trying to interpret um, English words, it's always MV. Oh. When they're trying to do a B sound. Interesting. Yeah. 
Live and learn. Look at that. Look at that. Oh, I'm I, I'm glad I did remember the. Uh, yeah, yeah. But that's true. When people are like, oh, it's Xmas, it's Christmas. I'm like, you're, it's the same thing. You're it's, literally I the didn't same realize. Thing. Somebody told me. I remember writing. I think it was my parents. I mm-hmm. remember writing Merry Xmas yeah. on a window or something like that. Yeah. And somebody told me, well, that's. You know, that is the uh, atheist interpretation or something like that. So silly. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, mm-hmm. then that, that obviously means, but yeah. So then I did a little more research. Yeah. Turns out it's Greek. It, it was, was Greek all along. It's the same thing. Chill You're out, welcome. people. Chill out. Question number three. December 25th is Christmas night, but when is Krampus night? Oh, sure. Um, well, Krampus is December 5th. Um, or six, depending on when St. Nicholas Eve is. That, right. That changes. But um, but it's I, I believe it's the, the fifth this year. I well, St. Nicholas Day is always the sixth. The sixth. Okay. Yeah. So then, okay, so the fifth is the day before. Yeah, because he has to come and give you the the, 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 the bad things, the coal, or he drags you off to hell before St. Nicholas can come and reward the good kids who are left behind. <laughs> who are still there. Yes. The correct answer. Krampus not is celebrated December 5th. The reason I know, just going back to Greek for a second, that December 6th is St. Nicholas Day is because it's my name day. And that was almost like having a second birthday. Very good. For Greeks. Yeah. That was a big deal. Does it, it? So it doesn't change at all. I don't know why I thought that it, it depended yeah. on like certain things changing. But yeah, that makes sense. It seems like it should be regarding the moon or something. Mm-hmm. It's a very evil sort of you know, idea. Right. And so, yeah, maybe there should be some, we can change it. Yeah. If you're expecting Krampus on a specific night, uh, then you can guard against him. Yeah. Potentially. So maybe he wants to remain a little elusive and mysterious. Well, you got time now. You can start doing good things for the next four days and then avoid Krampus. Well, duh. Um, Funny story. The um, I I started Orlando's first Krampus Knocked. Oh, you did? I did um, when I first moved back, and I got interviewed by the Smithsonian Magazine for it um, because you know Orlando didn't have one, and now they have one. Um, there's there's uh, the Milk District. I got a little shout out to the Milk District is having a Krampus uh, Fest on December eighth. Doing a little later, but they want to include everybody, not on a weeknight. And um, it's going to be very, very cool. Okay. Um, yeah, lots of performances, and the food's going to be awesome, and, and Krampus is coming through, and uh, yeah, Milk District. Pulling you down into hell. Yeah, yeah, pulling you down. Yeah, throwing you in a sack and dragging you off to hell. Perfect. As you do. All right. <laughs> so how'd right. I do? How'd I do on the quiz? You're, uh, we're not done yet. Oh, oh. You're 3-0. and oh. oh, okay. So you're doing very well. Okay. Two more. Oh, we become best friends. So this isn't like, wait, wait, don't tell me. This is like, we have like five questions. Yeah, there's five questions. I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, this okay. is, did you think you were on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me? I feel like I am. It's the, it's the large studio audience. We always bring them in for your show. Just yeah. Cyber Monday. I love it. They're very quiet, but, but, but polite. Question number four. According to the king, Elvis Presley, he was going to have what kind of Christmas without you? Oh, it was a blue Christmas. A blue yeah. Christmas. Yeah. The answer, Elvis said he was going to have a blue Christmas without you. Okay. 4-0. Mm-hmm. The pressure's on, getting higher, differences. Oh, is there a difference? The, the pressure or yeah. what? Oh, no, the pressure's... I'm, pressure's on, I'm feeling getting it. higher, differences. Differences. Uh, 
Is this a question? I don't know. What? This was a classic. Oh, no. What is like, it? Like, uh, I don't know, some sort of deodorant commercial. Oh, I don't know. You remember. feel drier. You feel drier. Yeah. My, see, I grew up in a family. We always muted the commercial, so I have oh, no idea. Neat. They would come on, and my mom, this was before TiVo, we could skip through things. They would just, oh, the commercial's on, mute it. And I'm like, how am I going to know what to buy now? You just see the beautiful visuals yeah and they just say buy everything that was stage advice from your parents parents if you're listening and i know you are yes tell your kids (laughs) buy everything okay last question and finally question number five according to the song what did my true love give to me on the eighth day of christmas eight oh gosh eight needs a milking I feel like it's eight maids and milking. Seven swans of swimming. Yeah, eight. I'll go with eight maids and milking. Eight, you'll go with that. Okay, yes. let's see. Okay. Your answer, my favorite gift. We got eight maids of milking. There you go. Five Christmas-themed questions for To A Certain Degree. Thank you very much, Nick and Jeremy. Check out Chris Crespo on the social medias, Cinema Crespediso, PFD Media, the Simon Time Trivia Show. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you, my new best friend. Yay! Jeremy, no my more new tires. best friend. You're my best friend, and I sing the best friend song to you. Can I still get a doorbell? No. Okay. Jeremy, no. No, I'm going to have a camera on you oh, okay. so that I can track you <laughs> all the time. Do you have any allergies? All of them. Okay, I'm great. to everything. I'm going to keep everything away from you <laughs> okay, then. Okay, good. Because I'm your best friend now. Especially people on this Cyber Monday. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about misery earlier. <laughs> right. <laughs> Get ready for a similar experience. Let's play a song, uh, another one that should potentially be a holiday song. I think we should make it a holiday song. Ray Charles with One Mint Julep on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to Odd Numbers. Thoughtful, simple design. That's what you'll get working with the incredible people at Snazzy Creative. Whether it's a logo, an ad, or a complete brand campaign, they have the experience to create approachable and affordable design for your small business. Find out more at thatssnazzy.com. Now back to the show. Ray Charles on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida, from Genius plus Soul equals Jazz. Oh, that's good, the name of the... It's a good math formula yeah. for early in the morning. That's the album. <laughs> that was One Mint Julep. Again, possibly a good mm. song for the holidays, depending on your family and <laughs> how that goes. Your taste in alcohol, yeah. Jeremy Sagers is here. <laughs> uh, he will be here for a few more minutes, and then we have to unfortunately leave because I could talk to him all day, I think is how I would say it. But uh, we're talking about not only the show that he has going on that he directed out at the Garden Theater in Winter Garden, A Christmas Carol, a ghost story of Christmas, a classic tale that you may see interpreted in a different way if you decide to go That's right. because it's running through December 22nd. So please, please, please go check it out. See if it uh, lines up with uh, your plans. And... Go see it. And tickets are selling fast, I have to say. Oh, that's, are they? That's not a ploy. That's not what people, and people say that a lot. Like, tickets are selling, but, like, it's weird. Like, I barely, I went yesterday just to watch it, and I barely got a ticket myself. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it seems like it would be much easier for you to get a ticket. Right? They just, like, yeah. let me sit anywhere. I'll sit yeah. on stage, you know? But as the director, too, they probably were like, no, don't let him in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's gonna, no, but he, seriously, like, I, it was, it, it's, yeah, selling really well. 
I'm, I'm happy. You know, nice. it doesn't matter to me. I already got paid, but um, <laughs> it's I have no. <laughs> it'll make a it'll make a percentage, but I it is really lovely that people are coming out uh, to see this show, a Christmas Carol happening at Christmas time. Who to thunk that it would sell? It would do well. well. Yeah, I mean, you actually, and it's named Christmas twice in the title. Yes, there are two Christmases. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There's only one Christmas. Right. There's two in the title. Right. I almost changed my name to Christmas so that it would be directed by Jeremy Christmas. To have three to have it three times, but that didn't work. It's too many. That's a lot. Because if you say Christmas three times in a mirror, it appears. Right. I think is how <laughs> that goes. We are talking about not only Jeremy's show, but as a director and somebody who works in theater, sort of this idea of world building as it applies to theater, as it applies to books, as it applies to other things. I was a little bit fascinated with that uh, this weekend and actually found this quote from Chuck Wendig. And he has written comic books, he's written screenplays, but from a world building perspective, he's also uh, done his work in a shared universe and writing one of the uh, recent, that is still in canon, Star Wars novels. So this is how he described world building. We're talking about the revelation of your story world and its details through the story itself. It's easy to think this means setting, but that's way too simple. World building covers everything and anything inside that world. Money, clothing, territorial boundaries, tribal customs, building materials, imports and exports, transportation, sex, food, the various type of monkeys people possess, whether the world does or does not contain satanic twerking rites. Yeah. So everything that is involved in that. Now, you may not get to every detail, and Mm -hmm. this is true world building. Like, this is real, to me, science fiction. This is not taking our world and changing one aspect of it. Sure. Uh, Sort of like in a horror movie um, or in a uh, a movie like The Lobster that we Mm -hmm. talked about earlier, um, which we didn't really get to, but the idea behind it, I would encourage everybody to see it. And you have to suspend your disbelief hard right at the beginning because it is a world almost identical to ours, except that if you're not paired up with your mate, then you are sent to hotel for 30 days. Mm -hmm. And if you don't find a mate, you're turned into an animal. Mm -hmm. And what I loved about it, what I thought was because it's so absurd, what I loved about it is they don't explain how you get turned into an animal. It's just accepted. Right. That it's a very relatively easy process. Mm-hmm. That you just get switched over in what feels like an instant. Right. Yeah. And, and you get to choose. And you get to choose. Which is why it's called the lobster because right. the main character is like, yeah, I'd be a lobster. They live for a hundred years. Right. Right. Yeah. And 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 if it's not, if you are caught either cheating or if if the relationship isn't consummated, then you there are um, there are repercussions. Mm-hmm. If you if you um, pleasure yourself, there are repercussions. Yeah. There's all kinds of these you know crazy repercussions um, and rules. Um, uh, but it is it's 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 I I yeah I love it. It is it's odd and it's quirky and and uh, it should it should be a play. I'll just adapt it to a play. Adapt away. <clears throat> just all the animals. Just do it from yeah. the animal's perspective, watching right. the humans. It'll be my version of Animal Animal Farm. But uh, back to the Chuck Wendon quote, you know, like that idea of covering everything. Again, mm-hmm. the novel itself should be about, or the story itself should be about people. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't necessarily be like the lobster shouldn't be about why this happened. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about it. Mm-hmm. But I think leaving that to my imagination actually makes it a better movie. Mm-hmm. 
Um, same thing with the how do they change uh, people into animals. Right. Like, I, you know, I would have to suspend my disbelief even more if I saw the mechanism in which that was done. Right. Or if they had to do some sort of uh, backstory about this scientist in the 70s who discovered that I, I don't care. Right. Right. But I don't know if in this case for the lobster, he felt like he had to do all of that. He probably didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gentleman's name who made that movie and wrote it is uh, Yorgos Lanthimos. Um, so again, Greek. I was going to say, I'm really glad you oh pronounced it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so many Greeks in this world. Uh, but the idea of going back, can you imagine doing something like that? Like that's really, to me, that's really intimidating. And I love science fiction. Mm-hmm. Like I have thought of many, many science fiction scenes, mm-hmm. if not somewhat plots um, and dialogue. But the idea of having to go back and create all of that so that when a character comes up against a certain obstacle, mm-hmm. you know, you have to solve it sort of in character or in world, I in should the world, say. Right, yeah. right. Um, have you ever thought about doing something like that? Because, again, to me, that sounds super intimidating. I think when we're kids, we're a lot more likely to come up with stuff like that because we're yeah. less inhibited by... The rules, or yeah, logic yeah. and the rules, and and I think like holding on to that aspect of of um, childlike wonder and creativity, I think is is really important in any kind of world creating, not even from scratch, but if you're just interpreting someone else's world, um, and not always having to explain things, I think is really important. I think we get into too much like. Um, explaining away, you know, this, that, and the other, just accepting, just showing somebody, showing the audience something and saying, this is the way it is. Um, and trusting them to come along. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's really trusting your audience is, I think, a huge element, a huge step in world building, um, no matter what genre, what media you're working with. So from your perspective as a director and as a theater professional, mm-hmm. Is there a certain amount of trust that you have to put and the actors have to put into the story as well? Because in some cases, there isn't that background Mm -hmm. for them to sort of play off of. Like, if you were to interpret the lobster, would it be important for the actors to know how that mechanism, again, Mm -hmm. how humans are turned into or why this happened? Like, what historically has changed so that this world exists? I think that's up to the actors. I mean, I let the actors usually come up with their own backstory if it's not in if it's not in the script. You know, we start with what the author has given you, and if if there's any, you know, um, background information and given circumstances. But if there's not, then I let them. I don't want to know about it necessarily um, because it doesn't influence what I am directing. Mm-hmm. But to me, if the actors believe it, then the audience will believe it. Yeah, if they're invested in it. <clears throat> and it's real to them, then you don't have to make the audience um, believe. Meryl Streep, she's this like young, up and coming ingenue. Never heard of her, probably right actress. And she is um, it Meryl Mer- Meryl 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 Streep. Okay, yes. Um, she she and she she ha- has said uh, famously rather she said you, you know the actor's job is not to convince the audience that they are this character but to convince the other actors that they're this character and you don't have to con- you don't have to work to convince the audience you believe your reality 
you know what's around you you make the other actor believe and you're good yeah you that's all you have to do is be committed to that world um that's been created and um and my job is to help make that world real for you and um, that doesn't mean always giving you all the answers i think it's important for the actors too to not necessarily have everything um spoon-fed to them um they have to create their own and sometimes that contradicts what you're going for as a director like sometimes you you, you an actor will tell you something oh okay you know my reaction will be like oh that's interesting like it's not what i would have thought but it's more important that it's real for you as long as it doesn't change the performance or the story you know um go with it you know I don't, it's, if that's what's going on in your head right now then run with it that makes it real mm-hmm. for you and the audience is going to see that um <clears throat> so so yeah i i think um i don't think i think probably when he i don't think he he created i don't think he gave the actors so much information i think he probably let them kind of come up with things on their own i mean that's what a smart director i think would have done with like okay it's not important how this looks but it's the stakes that are important you know what to you would would cause you to to uh have the urgency to to find a partner in this situation not because if you create almost if you put if it's too specific to you then it's not universal for everyone else if it's if, I mean, if you put if you visualize this is what this thing looks like you know this is terrifying like some monsters in movies are like this sometimes like when they have this creature yep. and it's almost like i'd rather not see it entirely because once i see it oh well that's not as, a, as scary as it, what i imagined it would be yeah um, i think there's a there's a scene or a couple of scenes of in the mouth of madness i think uh-huh. it's the movie with um sam neill yeah yeah, and there's two scenes in it that were very striking to me along those same lines. He wakes up and he's on this bus and everything is blue, uh-huh. and he starts screaming. And there was something so terrifying about that because he didn't know why he was there, but it was also something that should have been relatively normal being on a bus. Mm-hmm. But everything was blue, and it was horrifying. But then there's also uh, the scene where he's tearing through reality, mm-hmm. and he looks through and he sees the monster. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember. Was it um, Carpenter who did the uh, who did the movie? Um, whoever did the movie made yeah. the mistake of actually showing the monster. What it looked like yeah. And yeah. it was like if he could have just looked through, looked horrified because Sam Neill yeah has played against pretend dinosaurs right and right. he can look horrified. <laughs> yeah. And uh, had they just done that and left it to my imagination, it would have been much more horrific than anything they could have come up with yeah with you could do sound you can have so many other effects um but seeing it is is often a letdown so i think leaving that up to the audience's imagination and and we 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 find that with with books with novels right Mm -hmm. when they when they're adapted um there's this even it can be the most vivid description of something in a novel but then when you see it adapted on on the screen or something like that and it's it doesn't live up to its um expectations um yeah people are let down and and I think sometimes things just should stay on the page and then it, it because they really live in your imagination then, um, you know, especially if it's going to be something that's hyped up. Um, yeah. But I wanted to talk about one last yes. world building yes. um, that I was experiencing right now, which is to take you back to something in your memory. So I was reading uh, Tegan and Sarah. I just picked this up. Uh, wonderful musicians, Canadians, mm-hmm. which is my other claim to fame that I am Canadian, not mm-hmm. only Greek, but Canadian Greek. 
And the claim to fame <laughs> is a bit of a stretch. Uh, but they wrote a memoir of them in high school. Oh, so cool. I started reading that recently and their feelings of being outcast, their feelings of not fitting in. And even though this is a high school up in Calgary, mm-hmm. I was like, it was very easy for me to be in that world. Like they didn't have to establish a lot of it because it's it's high school. Mm-hmm. You know, I experienced it. And so being able to bring me back to that world and have all, almost these parallels of something that I'm experiencing. And that to me is always amazing when it comes to world building, whether it's sci-fi, fantasy or whatever, is I can find a character that I relate to, mm. right? Because that's the element of science fiction that I think is often not taken seriously. Comic books, uh, those sorts of things that I find are... Uh, rich in interpretation and in meaning mm-hmm. is that ultimately they're just stories about people. Right. And so reading that, and I would highly recommend, I've only gotten through a little bit of it, but it's really interesting to <laughs> hear their perspective. And even though they're twins and they're talking about that relationship, um, it was really easy for me to go back to high school and go, oh God, that that was high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and be, <laughs> And kind of relive it a little bit. Awesome. Yeah. So we're going to play a Tegan and Sarah song, but time to go, essentially. But before that, let's talk about Mm. a Christmas carol, a ghost story of Christmas at the Garden Theater in Warden Garden. One more time. Yes. Anything else you want to add? Tickets are available, but going fast. Going fast. I would encourage you to go check that out. Gardentheater.org is the website. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they have lots of show times. There are lots of, I mean, lots of different uh, performances happening. Um, and yeah, it is, it is a little darker. Um, it, is, it is safe, I should say, for all ages. But there is a special sensory performance um, on Saturday the 7th at 2 p.m. Um, that is great for really any age, um, especially for younger ones. It's really great for them. Um, it, but it, it is a little dark. Um, but, it, I, you know, I think Christmas, I think so. It, there's a tradition of, of ghost stories at Christmas. Sure. Um, around that time. So it's yeah. going back to that tradition. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, hopefully people can go out and see it. Have a little, have a little spook, a little spooky spook. Have a little spooky spook <laughs> with their Christmas. Yeah, no, I think that's how uh, we say it uh, on this show. Uh, I have Elliot Hillis coming back, so I have a few returning guests coming cool. up. Uh, Elliot Hillis from Orlando Meets is next week. Uh, Mark with a C is coming back on the 16th, so two weeks from today. Love him. And, of course, tonight is his 20th anniversary show at Will's Pub. You should definitely consider going, and it's free. So what reason do you have not to go? It's true. No, I'm asking. Oh. um, No, I'm just kidding. I'm not putting any pressure. At all, actually. I'll see you there then. Maybe I'll go. Uh, and then speaking of world building, Grandma Party Bazaar is on December 15th. Yes. I will be there. If you if you still have people to shop for, um, wait and do it there because it's an awesome uh, place where you can meet a bunch of local vendors. They bring in a couple of vendors from out of town. And it's just you will get something better than everybody else's gift, which is, I think, the the reason behind the season. <laughs> For me, at least. And I will be there. Speaking of world building, I will be there with a typewriter table. So I'll have multiple typewriters that uh, you can try out. You can start writing your novel. You can build that world. I thought you were going to type at the same time. I thought you were going to have multiple typewriters and you're going to type like 
on all of them on all of them at the same time like oh man like the, the keyboard same. the 80 keyboardist yeah. that had um the 80s not yeah. the 80 keyboards right 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 um that had the three keyboards around yeah. him or her and could go from one to the yeah. other as they were I might do that. Now that you mention that, <laughs> if I can surround myself with typewriters and just write a few words on each yeah. and get these stories going, uh, that sounds horrific, but I will definitely try it. So let's listen to some Tegan and Sarah. I All think right. this is another nomination for a holiday song someday from their album, Sainthood. Jeremy, let's shake hands. Thanks. Now that we're best friends. Best friends. Oh, yeah. Hey. Oh, such a I'm glad everyone saw that too. firm grip yeah <laughs> yeah uh so we will be back next week with elliot hillis have a wonderful wonderful week happy cyber happy cyber indeed you've been listening to odd numbers on wprk winter park florida and that's the show thanks for listening to odd numbers episode 27 I want to say 28. Let's call it 28, 27. Where do you go from here? Tell your friends, families, and neighbors about how great the show is. Also visit toacertaindegree.com. That's T-O-A, certaindegree.com. Just a reminder that this episode and every episode is recorded live on WPRK 91.5. You can listen every Monday at 7 a.m. on your radio or streaming on the internet. That's when shows are at their peak freshness. Thanks for listening. I'll truly miss our little talks.